You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 204, Tom Schwab and the Richness of Relationship. Keep your friends and family close, guys. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Of course, I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. Uh, This I don't believe in accident, so I'm glad that you have downloaded and are listening. So um, today, our guest, this is a real treat. I'm so excited about this uh, story and having him on the show. Uh, He's a he's definitely a pro in the podcasting space. He's a Navy veteran. Get this. He ran nuclear power plants. So that's pretty cool. He's a a marketer. He um, is an author and speaker, and he's going to tell us all about things like traffic and leads and his story of coming to faith. So our guest is Tom Schwab. Tom, welcome to Halfway There. Eric, I am thrilled to be here. And uh, the only way it could be better is if we were in the same place. We had that opportunity six weeks ago at uh, the Smart Christian Podcasting Conference. In some ways, it seems like a lifetime ago, but uh, uh, we look back fondly on that trip and look forward to it again. I know that was literally a different world. I shook people's hands without thinking twice. <laughs> so that was it's crazy but yeah that was so much fun in houston and i can't wait uh i'm assuming we'll be able to have another one next year that'll be fun so uh definitely great to meet so many people that we knew that i knew online right but uh even like yourself we've been connected on places like linkedin i know you're real active there for a while but it's great to meet you in person um okay so i want to hear a little bit about your story but tell us what, where you are and what God has you doing right now. Well, it's interesting. Um, I look at where I am. Everything up to this point has brought me here. Uh, and even the things that are going on in the world today, I, I just had this overwhelming feeling uh, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, you were prepared for this time. Mm-hmm. And so going back on it, you know, I was a Midwest kid growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, lived this like Mayberry life. Um, never been more than a hundred miles away from my home. Oh, wow. I got into the Naval Academy on a clerical error. Um, <laughs> that's my God story. Wow. Wait, 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 what suburb in Chicago were you in? Uh, uh, St. Charles. St. Charles. So, okay. Long, I know where that is. Yeah. Fox, Fox river, uh, about 30 miles, 38 miles West. And, uh, if I say Chicago and people actually live in Chicago, right. they're like, no, that's like Iowa is so far out. <laughs> right. I lived, so I grew up in Iowa, but I lived in uh, Deerfield Highland park sort of North, the other direction. Right. So yep. I know Chicago. Well, and that's cool. M- do you miss the pizza? Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I go back there and, uh, uh, whenever we go back, uh, Portillo's and oh, yeah. pizza is what we eat. You cannot get a good Chicago hot dog anywhere <laughs> except for Chicago, <laughs> right? Portillo's is the best place. <laughs> Chopped salad. Okay, now I'm going to have to go order some dressing. All right, well, that's good. <laughs> so, okay, well, I didn't know you had a Chicago connection. So then you got into the Navy on a on a clerical error? Correct. I have no depth perception. You know, some people would say I'm shallow. I would just say <laughs> I, I see in, in two dimensions. And they didn't figure that out until my senior year at the academy. And I thought, oh, you know, they're, they're not going to let me um, – be commissioned. And they're like, nah, the government is invested enough in you. We'll give you a waiver. Uh, they, but they said, you'll never go to sea. 
And I'm like, yes, this is great. That's the best and of both worlds. That's right. Thank you, God. Uh, and about three months later, um, they came back and said, well, we need nuclear power officers. Um, so, you know, you can do that. And I'm like, no, I can't uh, go to sea. And I will give you a waiver for that, too. <laughs> and so it worked out really well. I got to uh, be on a aircraft carrier, uh, the USS Abraham Lincoln. At the time, it was the newest and finest. Mm. Now it's only the finest. But people always would say, you know, wow, that, that was amazing that you could do that. I'm like, no, what's amazing is that people could come up with the systems and the processes and the culture so that mere mortals can do that. I was blessed to have that experience. I was um, married, had a couple of kids during that time. And uh, when people say, you know, thank you for your service, I'm like, you know, I got to do the fun stuff. It was really the the families at home. And it, it took a toll, toll on the family. So got out of the service, worked for corporate America, uh, really loved that, got into sales and marketing, and uh, then started my own companies. And so uh, I came to Kalamazoo, Michigan in 92 on a snowy February day. And I said, uh, you know, I'll take the job in this town, but I'm not going to die here. Well, no, 20 some, <laughs> almost 30 years later, um, I'm still here. It's where my family's grown, grown up. Uh, I've got four kids, uh, four grandchildren. Uh, two of my kids are, are married and, uh, you know, it's, it's home. And what I love about it is that, you know, today, with the internet, you know, you can be connected no matter where you are. So yeah. uh, when uh, people say, you know, are you a believer or are you a Christian? I always say, well, I sure try. And I, <laughs> I hope that, I hope that he sees me as that. Um, and I just look at, uh, I'm on a journey. And uh, a buddy of mine used to, used to joke that every night um, he'd, he'd pray that God, you know, give him one more day. And he said, every day I try to be a little bit better. And if God would give me one more day, I try, I try to be a little bit better. And yeah. he figured at this way, he had so far to go that he would live forever. And uh, <laughs> sometimes I think I make God proud. Other times I think I make him yeah. laugh and just shake his head. I love it. I, I think God is, he looks at us quite differently than, than we often think. I think he, he cares very deeply about all of us. Uh, I love that. I'm really curious. So you grew up in a Catholic home, right? You, you grew up Catholic. Is I, that right? I did. And um, my world was small. And uh, um, so, you know, my my uncle is a priest. I was named after him. Oh, uh, wow. Aunt that, that was a nun. And I went to um, 12 years of grades or of Catholic school, the last four being taught by Benedictine monks. And I've always, you know, <laughs> loved that the upbringing that I had and uh, uh, the rituals and stuff like that. But as I got older, um, it was more about the relationship and, and less about rituals. Yeah. Well, I'm really interested in hearing that story. So where, where was God for you as you were growing up and going into the Navy? Was it, what, what was, what would you say your perspective on him was or your relationship with him was? Um. Great question. So uh, growing up, you know, going to Catholic school and everything like that, it's just, it's what you did, you know, like Pavlov's dog Sunday, yeah. you, you go to mass, um, you know, holy days of obligation, you go to mass, you stand up, you sit down, uh, all the rest of that. And so when I went to the Naval Academy, um, I did that, um, but more from the ritualistic uh, area. And I can still remember at the, um, the 
the Naval Academy Chapel. It's like the one place you got to be, sit down, be like a normal person uh, and not be a plebe. Uh, you know, for uh-huh. your first year there. And it was reassuring and just the the silence and the quiet there. Um, but what I didn't like was going there on Sundays. And I can still remember this. I went up for communion and there was a, a tourist that was just ahead of me. And so after they received communion, I think they turned around and took my picture while I was, I was receiving uh, the sacrament there. And I was just like, I am not here. Mm. to be uh, in the zoo, right? <laughs> so honestly, I, I stopped going to mass, but I started going uh, to the chapel and just mm. to go there when it was quiet, um, to go there to pray, to think, to, to have the conversation. And so from that standpoint, um, I felt like the relationship got better, um, even though uh, that I wasn't doing all of the ritualistic yeah. things. Uh, that I was supposed to. And uh, it was just, I got peace and, and quiet there. And, um, uh, you know, the, the peace that uh, defies all others. Yeah, uh, that's what I got when I when I would go in there by myself and pray. Really interesting. So were you, were you always sort of curious about God? Were you always, did you always feel connected with him? Or what, what was that like? Um, no, and I, I would say that I knew it intellectually. Mm. Right. And even as I got um, out of the Navy, still, you know, uh, get the kids baptized in um, in the the same faith and everything. But it just seemed like there were a lot of people that were happier um, and had more of a relationship. Uh, you know, it would always be um, uh, the the phrase was celebrate. You know, you go to um, you go to mass to celebrate it. And I, I didn't see a whole lot of people having fun. You know, <laughs> there was that joke that um, uh, that uh, if it was more fun, maybe it would attract more people. Right. And not that not that it has to be a carnival and uh, all the rest of that. But um, uh, you want to be around happy people. So I, I, I saw more of that. And I, I, I would have to say I moved more from the. The rituals and more towards relationship, learning, praying, uh, doing those things on my own. Um, and I became happier with that too. So, um, to me, it's more about a relationship, um, than, you know, than just, you know, do you follow every, every ritual, every rule that's made by man? Right. Totally. Yeah. I know my audience would agree with that too, because we're, um, yeah, that's definitely what what this whole show is about. It's just figuring out that relationship, right? And figuring out the the God story within the uh within the bigger story. You found uh, a deeper relationship with God later, right? So la- later in life. Tell me that story. How'd that happen? Yeah, so I, I it was um oh, I was probably mid 40s and I had gone to a um uh just a men's retreat. And, you know, there was a, there was a joke that, uh, you know, people used to say about Catholics, you know, well, you don't read the Bible. And the joke <laughs> always was, well, why do we have to read it? We wrote it, right. <laughs> you know, and, um, <laughs> which of know, course is not read- true, but yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, and not only is it not true, that's, it, it's blasphemous, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> blasphemous. And why would I read it when they'll read it to me? Right. select passages. So I uh, don't mean to insult anybody by that. It was just a, a joke that we had. And um, so I was like, well, I've never really read the Bible. So I started to read that and I knew it intellectually. 
I knew the promises, but it was all intellectually. And it wasn't until um, I was at a men's retreat and uh, Dr. Bob Record, who's sort of like this guy's guy, he does the um, uh, the prayer breakfast for the National Rifle Association. Oh, cool. And I can remember him talking and just, you know, being overcome and and, and weeping right there when I realized that all of these things, all of these promises, I knew them intellectually, but those were always for good people like Eric, right? Or good people <laughs> like other people, not for me. And I was just overcome when I realized that, no, you know, uh, the promises for all of us. And um, that's, that's when I just realized that that's when I said that, yes, I'm, I've got a relationship. I, I'm a Christian or I'm sure trying to be. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So that was when it finally became personal for you. Would you say that? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Very interesting. That's always uh, a, an interesting moment, right? Because you had all this background. You, it sounds like you believed. It sounds like you knew, had an idea of who, who God was, but maybe hadn't had a personal connection to him yet. And it's like that factual stuff. So, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, intellectual in versus heart. Yeah. In, in high school, I mean, took four years of theology in high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so uh, could tell you, you know, all the different councils and why this, <laughs> why this denomination split off from this denomination and, and what, um, what people uh, thought. And even when I was in college, I had, I'm, I'm an engineer by degree, a mechanical engineer, and we had to take some humanities classes. And I thought, oh, you know, I've had four years of theology class in high school. This should be easy. <laughs> and so I signed up for the uh, philosophy of religion. And that was one of the hardest oh, classes yeah. I had to take because it, it was actually thinking through things and questioning it, not just talking about the facts and looking at all the different ways that people looked at, um, at religion and relationships. Uh, and that was a tough class. Yeah, I bet it was. That's uh, that's always very interesting. Uh, okay, well, that's so that gives us a good perspective on uh, kind of how your relationship developed. Um, I I always love hearing those stories because it just proves that you can you can know everything, right? You can hear all the stories, you can study theology, uh, but it really is a personal experience of God's love for you that changes you. Yeah, did you? Did you find any kind of, how did that change your perspective on the world, on yourself, on God? Um, I think it's empowering, right? Mm. To, to have a relationship, a personal relationship with the, the creator of the universe, right? That's powerful. Um, and that, that really serves, mm. serves you, right? I remember somebody um, saying, do, do your beliefs serves you or hurt you, Right. And to, to believe that um, is empowering, right? To realize that you're not in it alone, right? That um, I, I have, I'm very visual. And so often I, I, uh, I look at the relationship that I have with my kids and say, wow, I wonder if that's like the, the relationship that I have with my father or that he wants mm. to have with me, you know? And so to realize that you're only doing a small portion of it. He's doing the vast majority of it and letting you take the credit. Right. So, you know, uh, think of what, like when my son was, I don't know, five years old and made his mom something. Well, you know, I cut the wood, I got it together. I helped him. You know, I might've done 95% of it. And if if I would have done a hundred percent of it, 
it would have looked a whole lot better. But he was so proud that I did this. Look, look, mom, I did this. This is what I made. And, you know, I'd never come back and say, well, no, you didn't do all of that. I let him take the credit. So right. I look at that too. It's like um, to have that relationship that if I do my little part and he does his big part, which I know he'll do, um, then it's it's not scary. Um, and that's, uh, it's going to turn out okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what happened after that retreat? Like how, so take us, did, what did you do? What changed it for you after that? Or how did your life go after that? Um, I think it put things in perspective and in context, right? Um, I, I would have to say that I'm, um, the, the marriage got much better. Um, so, uh, I'm on my second marriage. Um, uh, the first one, I can't say that I was a great husband. Right. And the second one, um, I don't know that I, w- I was great, but it was the most um, clearly that I've ever had God speak to me because mm. before I, uh, well, you know, Karen. I do. Uh, before- she's she's amazing, by the way. So you you guys, I just, so our friends haven't had the chance to experience this, but we were at Spark and I, what I could see uh, between you guys, I, li- literally, you guys are into each other. Like you, you like each other. You guys are, you're, you're talking to each other. You're kind of whispering to each other in the corner. <laughs> uh, like, like high school kids, really. Like that was my thought. I, I know. I'm sorry. I hope I'm embarrassing <laughs> you just a little bit, but, um, it like really what, I, but what that, what I saw in, in your relationship with each other was just a deep and genuine love and affection. So that was cool. And, um, so I was, I was actually curious about that. So go ahead. T- keep, keep telling us so, about it. Yeah. We had been dating and, you know, here's this wonderful girl. She's got two, uh, young daughters that are just amazing. And, um, she deserved a great husband. And I looked at that and said, I wasn't a great husband before. Right. So what makes me think that I will be this time. And so I prayed and I prayed more than that. I think and anything. And I told her straight out, it, it sort of freaked her out. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to waste your, I don't want to waste your time. This is sort of my year of discernment, um, whether or not I can be the man that you need to me to be. And she was like, oh, you already are. And I'm like, mm, I, I don't think so. And so uh, I can still remember we were out on a friend's boat in the middle of Lake Michigan. And I, um, I asked the question that's that, um, that I'd been asking forever um, and uh, in prayer and just said, you know, uh, can I be the husband that she needs and that she deserves? Um, and the answer came back, no, you can't, but through God, all things are possible. Wow. And that's what it struck me as. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. Cause I was trying to do it all myself and you know, no, I couldn't, I couldn't be that. But if it was, you know, having God um, as part of, you know, um, the relationship, then it was possible. Yeah. And so since then, when I've ever looked at, I have fallen what I wanted to, to do, right. It was because I was trying to do it all myself. Um, you know, uh, trust in Tom and you can do all things through Tom that never (laughs) works out well. Right. Uh, but when, uh, when I tried to do it all myself, it never worked. But when I, you know, uh, realized that, God was in this too. It worked out a whole lot better. It always, it always worked at that point. Yeah. Amen. Wow. That, that is a great story. Um, and certainly it's true. You know, the, the Lord does his part and we, we do it. I was, uh, one of my favorite passages is in Philippians two, 
I think it's uh, 12 and 13, but it's, it's where God says, or Paul says, um, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? So that's, that's a command for us to do something, right? Go do, go do the things you're supposed to do. And then the next verse says, for it's God who is at work in you, right? So we, we have to show up, we have a part to play, but God is the one doing the work. And it's this really interesting interplay. Um, and I think of that as a guy with a spiritual formation background. That's where, you know, that's that's certainly how sanctification goes, but that's really how life goes, right? That's that's how mm-hmm. we, we demonstrate dependence on him. And that's how we're sanctified. I wanted to ask again, also, uh, back to your spiritual story. Did you, have you ever had a time when you were like mad at God or if God felt sort of... <laughs> <laughs> since maybe since your your kind of moment but like i guess you, you tell me uh yes and that was probably uh about a dozen years ago uh best friend of mine uh growing up uh brian mitchell uh, we'd been friends since high school football um and you know there wasn't a a a week that went by that i didn't talk with him he was like a, a brother to me and uh brian uh got diagnosed with um liver cancer uh, of the duct or I saw the same thing that Walter Payton um, Mm. uh, passed away from. And here's a guy that did everything right. You know, he was a, he was a physician. He was a um, record producer. When he passed away, he was doing survivors. Um, uh, The band, you know, eye of a tiger, Oh yeah, uh, that, that survivor, he was doing their album. Everybody loved him. He was great. And um, he got uh, diagnosed with, uh, with this cancer. And well, in uh, January, um, he had surgery, and then he was supposed to go to Mayo Clinic for this definitive surgery. And I would drive back probably the, the three hours, about once a week, to go see him and spend time with him. And um, you could say that I prayed on the way back. Um, it was more like yelling at God at that point. Mm. Um, you know, it's like, because he was supposed to go up to Mayo Clinic, but he had pancreatitis. And he was in, they wouldn't take him back up there until um, that settled down. And I would, I would drive back and just be mad at God. And I'm like, come on, this guy's done everything right. You know, why can't you just heal the pancreatitis so he can go up to Mayo Clinic, get the definitive treatment and get on with his life. And, uh, you know, uh, I yelled, God listened. um, And he was patient with me. And so this goes on. Um, all of a sudden, the pancreatitis, he's at home this entire time uh, with his family. Um, pancreatitis lit, um, gets better probably early March. He goes up to Mayo Clinic, um, has the surgery. A uh, couple days later, he almost bleeds out. Oh, wow. um, they take him back into surgery. Um, they get fixed back up. He gets sent home. Well, he's home for a couple of days and we're talking. and. Uh, talked to him that afternoon. We were going into Chicago for a meeting and he was like, yeah, let's get together, spend the tomorrow night at the house. It'll be great to see you. I haven't seen you since I was up at Mayo Clinic. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, was just coming out. (laughs) And so we were going to binge on that. And uh, so no problem. That was uh, in the the afternoon. um, I had talked with, no, I'm sorry, late morning. I had talked with them and we were supposed to be there uh, that evening. that afternoon, uh, the, uh, the kids came home from, from school and he went out and they, they went to take the dog for a walk and, uh, took the dog out there. He told the kids, 
take the dog, walk around the block and, and just come home. And uh, your mom and I aren't, aren't going to go for the walk here. And his wife is also a, a physician. And as soon as the kids started to walk away, he looked at Mary and said, um, call the ambulance. Uh, I'm bleeding out. Oh, wow. And she called the ambulance. Uh, I saw him that night. Um, he was in intensive care, not doing well. And he passed away by the next morning. Mm. And one of the jokes that he always said in his life was, don't worry, all bleeding stops eventually. Oh, and no. he was right. You know, all <laughs> bleeding does stop eventually. And after that, I looked back on it and thought, praise God that, that it was his plan, not mine. And after that, um, you know, I'm like, I was praying that he goes there and gets the surgery. Well, Instead, he got to stay home for a few months and actually spend time with his family. You know, under my plan, uh, he would have gone there and probably been, you know, dead a week later and never had that time with his family. So after that, I was just like, um, when I pray, I'm like, I don't know what to pray for, right? Um, I don't want my plan to be used, right? God, may your plan work out and I trust in you and, and help me see why this is the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds like it changed your trust in, in God a little bit. Um, it did. And I think that has gone on in my life because one of the things that I, uh, I taught my granddaughter, uh, and this was just last, last year around Thanksgiving, she came to me and she said, pa, there's, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And I said, there's no such thing as bad news. God doesn't curse us. He doesn't give us serpents, right? So there's good news and there's great news. You just have to look for the great news. And she didn't understand. And I said, well, tell me, tell me some bad news. And she said, well, the bad news is we're out of ice cream. <laughs> I mean, when you're five years old, if, if there's no ice cream, uh, that is <laughs> awful news. And I'm like, that's great news, right? Because you love ice cream. I love ice cream. Um, I've got money. I can drive. We can go to the store right now. So we went to the store. We came back with two half gallons of ice cream, <laughs> right? And I said, there's good news and there's great news. And so that's one of the things that I've always looked through, you know, um, yeah. with everything. Um, it's like, oh, this is bad news. Well, it appears to be bad news, but God doesn't curse us. He doesn't give us, you know, um, give us serpents. And so looking and saying, why, how is this going to turn into good news? Um, and so with that and, and just trusting in him, uh, you know, um, that, uh, um, I, I didn't, I didn't write the, the, uh, the Bible. I didn't create the universe. Um, and I probably shouldn't be telling the, uh, the person that did, um, how he should, how he should run <laughs> things. Uh, maybe I should just ask of, Hey, could you let me understand and maybe give me a glimpse of why this is good news, um, just just so that I can uh, I can rejoice in it too. Yeah, well, that's what the spiritual life is all about, right? Is coming to a place of surrender to to let God do what God does, right? Um, that's why I love the Book of Habakkuk. I talk about it way too much, probably, but he, he he does that, right? He goes back and forth with God, and you know the usually the heading will say Habakkuk's complaint because he's kind of complaining <laughs> at God, but he, but he really, that, that same book is where we get the righteous will live by faith, right? Cause he says, he brings everything to God and then he sits down and says, I'm going to wait and see what you're going to say. And, um, 
and he does, and that's where God says, "Okay, this is this is what faith is like." Wow, that's that's really deeply powerful, right? I always struggle with you know quoting things chapter and verse because if I ever get it wrong, it's like is that blasphemy <laughs> to get it wrong even nah. if you're not doing it on purpose? But I, I've got different versions. You know, there's all these different translations of the Bible. Uh, some of it has been translated in um, into the Tom Schwab uh, version <laughs> of it, right? That's okay. Um, there's that uh, that verse, you know, be still and know that I am God. Uh, the way I translate that or it's spoken to me is sit down, shut up, you're not God. <laughs> right. And there's so many times where I've got to remember that. Be still and know that I am God. Sit down, shut up, you're not God. Yeah, yeah. Just, just wait, right? Just be there. I love that. <laughs> Very cool. All right, well... Um, Tom, thanks for sharing all of that with us. When did you get into podcasting? Like, how did that happen for you? I, I don't think there's anything that's like revolutionary. It's all evolutionary, right? Mm. There's nothing new under the sun. And so for me, it was always, I like to connect with people. Um, when, when I was growing up and my world was small, um, it felt like a very, very small world. And then I got to go to the Naval Academy and go around the world. And it's like the richness of my life just went up, you know, magnitudes there uh, of being able to expose to people, getting to talk to people. So I've always liked that. And that was always my fear um, being in Southwestern Michigan, that it would be isolated. Mm. And so I was always one of those early adopters to connect with people any way I could. Um, going to conferences, um, uh, connecting on new social medias to, to really have that relationship. So um, I had read a book back in 2008 um, by two smart guys out of MIT, and it's called uh, Inbound Marketing. Uh, they went on to uh, um, form HubSpot, uh, Darmesh Saw oh, and wow. Ryan Halligan. Yeah. And they, uh, their, their, their premise is that uh, people use the internet to solve their problems. Uh, they don't want to be sold to. Uh, they go there with the problem and those people that can solve the problem and address the problem will get that no like and trust um, and build a lifetime business. So early on, I, uh, I reached out to him and uh, we had just sold one business and going into the, the recession of 2008, we're looking to ramp up another one. We were only doing it in Michigan. And I looked at it and said, you know, we're doing well here. Uh, half of the units that we rented would come back with thank you notes. How can we ramp this up? So I'd reached out to them and said, hey, do you think this would work for e-commerce? And they're like, yeah, nobody's ever tried it, but it should. So I thought the same thing. We ramped that up. We were HubSpot's first e-commerce case study. Beretta USA, which is the oldest company in the world, oh, wow. was their second one. Um, and so built that up. And one of the things that we used was guest blogging. Right. Instead of me writing a blog on my own site, uh, getting it seen by three people, uh, one of them being my mom, <laughs> um, I go out on a different site and tap into their, their platform. And so in 2014, um, we had built that company up, sold it off. I was helping uh, a couple friends in a mastermind group to build their business. And I hypothesized, I wonder if you could use podcast interviews that same way you know, to leverage other people's platforms. So we tested it. It worked awesome. And at first I thought, oh, it's just a, it's, it's just a, a niche or it's just a personality. Kept testing it and it really worked. Yeah. So I'd already built one business. And I didn't, didn't want to do it again. 
Um, so I put out this cheesy PDF, right, of how I did it. Gave that away to lots of people. Um, and then they said, well, you should do like a video course. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So did that, and I never took it out of beta, Eric, because <laughs> I, I could see from the back end that people weren't getting results with it. And the people that were honest said, okay, you've given me the cookbook. You've given me the videos. I don't want to be the chef. I just want to be the mm. guest. You take care of all the rest. So in 2015, we beta tested a done-for-you service that would help people get on targeted podcast interviews to grow their business. Worked so well, we took it out of beta in 2016, and that's what's four years later has grown into Interview Valet that you see now. And we've got a team of 19 that serve about 100 clients at a time, helping them grow their business by getting on the right podcasts. Yeah, which is a really cool thing. I think what I've been impressed about with uh, with podcasting is there's all these different ways uh, you know, to make money in it, right? With within mm -hmm. kind of around the business and and booking people, and you guys are the are the best of the best um, for for sure. Uh, so which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. Very interesting. Um, can we talk about the podcasting industry? Is that Please. cool? What do you think is happening right now? This is an interesting time, right? Because we're in this quarantine, and I'm sure hopefully it's over by the time this comes out. But the whole world is getting connected through stuff that you and I use every day, right? Uh, how do you think this is going to change our industry, the podcasting industry? That's a great question. I think it's going to amplify and speed up what you and I are already seeing, mm. right? So right now it's um, April of 2020 when we're recording this. I, I foresee that within a few years, somebody's going to listen to this and laugh at when we say podcasting. <laughs> really? Right? Because... It, Yes, in 1920, radio was called wireless telegraph. And by 1930, <laughs> it was called radio. And it sounds funny now, but it's like, well, why do we call it podcasting? It's because it all went back to the iPod. Well, right. nobody know, Nobody has like an iPod anymore, right? Uh, my two youngest daughters, she asked them, what's the pod stand for in podcasting? They roll their eyes and like, I don't know, dad. So I, I, wow. think, I think it's going to be content. Right. So if you take this and put the video up on YouTube, is that a podcast still? Um, if you take the audio and uh, put it someplace, is that still a podcast? Well, if it gets transcribed um, and somebody reads that, is it still a podcast? I think what we're seeing is that it's just content. Right. And I think this idea that, um, a lot of business owners were told you're, you're one funnel away. You know, you're one funnel away from this. No, I think it's the one conversation away. Yeah. Right. And so how can you have these conversations? And I think what people are seeing now is that there's different ways to do it. And, you know, there's a lot of problems in the world today, but there is no better time to be alive. Amen. Right? The things that we have ex exposure to and access to um, are, you know, are amazing and they're largely free. So, you know, for me, writing a blog is a homework assignment. Um, I've done a lot, but uh, I've never really enjoyed them. But talking like this is easy. So it's so easy to create in what platform is easiest for you and then to repurpose it into others. So I think it's just going to be 
this this idea of creating content, sharing content, um, it's going to be searchable. You know, Google has already talked about yeah. that that they're transcribing the podcast, so it's not only going to be um, them telling you what episode it is, but go to minute thirteen wow. where Eric and Tom talk about this, and that's going to be so so powerful and so rich in there. So, um, you know, the books that I'm reading right now. Um, are more like what happened in the 1920s. You know, I don't want to watch the the show Pandemic yeah, or right. learn about that. It's like <laughs> right. that's just depressing. No, but what what's going to happen in the future? Uh, because you know things things cycle um, amongst themselves. And so, what's it look like when you come out of a pandemic? What's what's the opportunity? What's the bright spots? What are the mistakes that were made that we can make sure that we don't um, make again? You know, I, I always try to focus on what's it going to look like in the future, not what it looked like in the past. Um, so I, I guess I look at that and for podcasting, um, I think so many people have been exposed to what digital is like. Yeah. And I don't think we'll ever just stay there. I don't think it's an either or, but the pendulum is not going to come back to where it was. And so I think the people that are that are smart will realize it's both, right? So if like uh, we were, I was talking with the pastor the other day, I said, if your live service is just like the one people saw on the internet, why do I need to drive there? Yeah. There better be something else. You know, it's like uh, going to a concert. If a concert is just like the album. Okay. Now I'm showing my age. All right. <laughs> just like the download or just like the CD. Um, right. Why would I go to the concert? There's got to be different things there. Um, and I think the the people that realize how we can take the, the best of what was and amplify it with the best of what we have now are going to create some amazing things for, for what the best of the future looks yeah. like. Well, I love that. I totally think it's about experience in a lot of ways, right? So we, you and I get to create this experience for our audience by having this conversation and sharing it with them. Uh, and the same thing is true for live events, right? They, they're going to have to start rethinking um, and churches are going to struggle with this, I think. Uh, they're going to have to rethink, how do I create the experience online versus the way I create the experience live? What What is that like, right? What What do I do? Um, yeah, I've been a little bemused about all of the churches uh, jumping on, all the people really jumping on Facebook Lives, <laughs> all the things that we've been doing for you know four or five years now. Going, yeah, welcome to the party. I'm glad you're here, <laughs> and I, I'm thrilled that they're there Me and too. that they can um, uh, that they can do it. But I, I look back at like the Spark Conference, yeah, right. Um, I've got the downloads. I think now uh, of the digital conference. I can't say that I've spent two days to watch all of them again. Yeah, right. I, I need I need to, but to me the content was great, but the relationships and the connections, that magic that happens in the hall. Yeah. Um, it's not just about education. Uh, it's about relationships and, uh, and and meeting people. And there's some ways to do that digitally, but I don't think it's an either or. Um, that uh, right. One thing I learned at Spark was that it was how powerful. Um, the in-person relationships become when you have already that digital foundation, right? So it was really fun to meet. There were so many people from uh, Christian Podcasters Association, my Facebook group, uh, who were, I, th I, I don't know how many people were there from, from that. I don't know, maybe 20. It was a lot. And 
but to, I knew them all online, right? And a ton of people mm-hmm. I knew online, but to meet them all in person and be able to shake their hand and actually speak with them, that was amazing. Oh, and uh, it's amazing because you don't know like how tall people are. Right. We all look the same height. Right. Um, but there was that event that first night for the speakers. Yeah. And, um, you know, Karen, my bride, uh, also works in the company. She's a podcast relationship manager. So she knew so many of the podcasters. And they had this relationship, even though they'd never met in real life. So it's like, it's weird. It's like the first time you meet somebody, you give them a hug. Well, yeah, it's because, you know, you've got a relationship. And um, it's just that now you get to meet them and rejoice there. So I think uh, that we all have to to be cognizant of that, that, uh, uh, that there's certain things you can do online, but actually meeting people in real life, um, you know, is so much richer. And to me, the, yeah. the richness of my life is the richness of our relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that. Um, yeah. I've heard people say too, that we're probably, th- this is the thing that tips us over from being, um, having virtual lives versus, uh, versus, you know, physical lives, like where they become more integrated and it's all real life, but it's like, you know, there's just the in-person versus not in-person, which is going to be interesting, right? It'll be different. It is. And I also think that um, it's, it's made more authentic conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, How you, how are you doing right now is not a throwaway phrase. Uh, It's really that I care about you. Um, It's good to see you um, is going to be, uh, yeah, much more meaningful than it was with just a throwaway face and, uh, you know, uh, shaking somebody's hand or giving them a hug. That's, that's going to be powerful. I mean, that's a, that's the thing that I'm looking forward to most after this is just being able to, to hold my grandkids, to hug my kids. Um, you know, so I think it's, uh, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder and all those things that were absent, we're going to be, much more valuable now and appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we touched on interview valet and kind of what you guys do. Um, it's where can people find out more about that and, uh, how tell, tell us a little more about how that can, can really help people who want to get onto podcasts or increase their business. Sure. And my, my point of view on this is that the biggest problems all businesses have right now is obscurity, mm-hmm. Right. There are with what your current product or service offering is, there are thousands of people out there that it's perfect for. The only problem is they don't know you exist, right? Obscurity is our biggest problem. And for a long time, people have been talking about breaking through the noise. I think that's actually laughable, right? Mm. The idea that um, I'm going to yell loud enough to break through the noise, it's not going to happen. It's more like all of us yelling and nobody getting hurt. So I believe that the best thing to do is to get in on the conversations that are people already having, being introduced by a friend, you know, like a, a podcast host. So that's what we really focus on. And our mission is to personally introduce inspiring thought leaders to millions of ideal people they could serve for the betterment of all. And so that's what we do. And I think the best way to do that right now, the easiest and most effective is through being a guest on podcast interviews. So, um, you know, if any of this resonates with you, um, I'll put a page up, Eric. It's just interview valet with a V.com forward slash halfway there. 
Uh, you mentioned my book. I sell a lot of those. I give more of them away. So if you want a copy of Podcast Guest Profits, How to Grow Your Business with a Targeted Interview Strategy, I'll put there that there. There's also an assessment on how you could use this. And I'll put all my social media on there too. You don't have to figure out which Tom Schwab in Kalamazoo <laughs> it is. Uh, you can just go there and if we can serve you and help you in any way. We'd be, we'd be honored and uh, I'd love to talk with you. Very cool. That's great. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for being here, sharing a little bit of your story. I just think the world of you and I'm glad that, that you were here. Thank you. Thank you, Eric.